0: This is the You podcast, getting you private practice ready. We give you fresh ideas on mindset, communication, and clinical skills so you can have a fulfilled career. What a time to be alive. I have Jacob with me. He is a young podiatrist. Uh, We're going to do a bit of an interview style on his perspective on the podiatry profession, um, comparisons between his Workplaces, Views on Orthotics, um, and this is episode 13. But first, I wanted Jacob to describe
1: where are we right now? So at the moment, we are in the middle of the Port Phillip Bay. So we're on the ferry from Portsea over to Queenscliff, holed up in a car, um, little makeshift studio.
0: <laughs> it's pretty cool. We're, we're literally on a boat in a four-wheel drive going across the bay. What's the bay called? I think it's called Port Phillip Bay. All right. and, and where were we? Where, where have we been this weekend? So
1: we've been at a retreat weekend with Profeet Podiatry in Portsea, and we are heading back over to Queenscliff now. Yeah, so Jacob now works for a company called Pro
0: Feet Podiatry, um, and they had a retreat weekend, and we just did some workshopping on client experience, um, core values, and it leads us into our first question is... Jacob's going to explain or describe how he thought podiatry would be, leaving uni, and what it actually is. So could you reflect on the first part? Is What did you think
1: it would be, leaving uni? Uh, What I thought it would be, leaving uni, was just dealing with feet. And I expected that... um, I, I didn't expect there to be so much more around the people attached to the feet and the things that happen outside of the room. So as naive as it might sound, I, I expected that I would just walk in, see people for the appointments, and they'd walk out and that'd be nine to five for me for the next thirty years. Yeah.
0: What um tell me more about the you the the more, so treating more than just the feet. Is that more as in Uh, more specific questions about
1: the person or more different areas of the body or more administerial or partner work? I'd say um, definitely more about the person, the person that's walked in on the feet and and what's brought them in and all those factors that we have to address besides just the theoretical foot stuff that we learnt at university. And then also um, the hustle outside the consult room as well in terms of following up, um, communications with GPs with patients, families, personal trainers, um, just just a lot of a lot of stuff outside the room which you don't get the exposure to in uni.
0: Tell me about the first part. So, person comes in with a foot condition. How is it? Is it every patient that a podiatrist would look up the chain? Do you find yourself doing hip and knee work? Tell me more about that.
1: Um, so the. When I say more than the feet, I um, generally I'm I'm meaning the the person um, like psychologically, um, personality, getting to know them. Yeah. Um, often, in terms of like specific knee and hip assessments, it's something that I don't do a lot of. I would generally say to the person um, that we're we're going to address and look at the at at the foot and that can have an influence on what you're feeling in the knee or further up the chain. Um, and you could also have that addressed by somebody who's more over that than, than what we are.
0: Do you think there's more scope for pods to look a little bit further up the chain and and start that process?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it depends in terms of each individual practitioner and what they're passionate about. So, um, if you want to educate yourself to, to look more into um, uh, hip control and, and and ankle injuries, then I don't see a reason why a podiatrist wouldn't go out and, and learn that and, and offer that, why they would feel the need to refer that. I don't feel like it's with, outside of our scope. Um, it, it comes down to, I guess, what, what you want to do at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: I think it's – I've kind of reflected on it before with other health professionals that I feel like – it would be easier if we didn't have titles, but instead we, um, we all
1: looked after all areas of the body. Maybe we're just movement specialists or body specialists. Yeah, that's what I feel as well. I feel like the, um, we don't have to be so defined by our titles um, and we, we more just have to think what do we want to learn about, what type of people do we want to help and what can we do to best complement that. So um, I'm I'm working with a pod right now, and we were
0: we were talking about like, have you assessed hip strength? Have you done single leg balance? Um, are you progressing that over six to eight weeks? I think the the young pods I've been working with at the moment have probably limited their scope a little bit, and maybe haven't done six to eight weeks of say strength work. And I think most pods I've met are more than capable of improving someone's hip strength and
1: single leg balance. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I think. Traditionally, podiatrists have been very quick to um, put put our things in place and then um, move someone on. Um, but yeah, I'd I'd say that one way I'd really like to look at it would be um, you know once once we've addressed the footwear and we've and we've got the orthotics in the shoes um, and we've you know they've they've got that. Good foundation in in um in body weight strength. Like, why why can't why wouldn't we tell them to add, to add resistance and progress it, yeah, that way. Absolutely. Um,
0: I wanted to ask about the difference between your first and second jobs because you've only been out for twelve months, and I know there's been a stark difference between uh, the two jobs you've had. Uh, could you reflect on that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I was originally. Living in Melbourne, which is a bit of a bigger city down in Victoria, which is where I studied, and it's um, it's it's where I looked for work originally, mm-hmm. um, and so I took the 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 work I could find there, and it was it was great for me as a as a new grad to to go out and be given a bit of responsibility. Um, and be thrown in the deep end and just work through all those all that stuff that you got to work through in your first year out but it, there was probably a, a ceiling and a bit of a limitation there where I just um, didn't see that much growth beyond the initial organic stuff in that environment mm. and where, where I am now um, I've got a, a bigger team to be able to lean on with more experience around me and I feel like that's going to really benefit me long term
0: and just to clarify when you said with the first job you felt like there wasn't a lot of growth was that patient numbers or more like the
1: pathways that we talk about um yeah it was more the pathways. so in in terms of mentoring was a little bit with more limited um the types of patients that we were attracting was was through a gp clinic so it, I, I'm I, I love sitting down helping anybody with anything that i can but it's just not the not the type of clients that I wanted to, to be seeing for the rest of my life. So, um, let's go into more specifics about the place you're at now, which you're really enjoying. What's the mentoring like? You mentioned the mentoring. Yeah, the mentoring's amazing. So, I've got um, people that are working on the same location as me that I can uh, physically grab in, in the hallway um, whenever I feel like it, ask a question which is great to be able to do. And then also we have communication channels um, online and to be able to ask questions to, to people and, and groups on that. And then, um, yeah, every, every now and then we'll all get together and go through some things as well.
0: Is that um, Slack that
1: your team's communicating on? Yes, yeah, Slack, yeah. yeah. Could you explain that for people who don't know? So Slack's... Um, not dissimilar to like a Facebook Messenger, it's just like a live um, messaging platform where you can you can um, send text messages, um, images, videos, share files, um, all those types of things.
0: Yeah, I think what we've experienced is you don't necessarily need kind of two, three, four live mentoring sessions. I think it's really good to have one live at least, but if the communication is great on an online channel like Slack, you can certainly improve your practice with images, journals, or just even opinions.
1: Yeah, definitely, and just um, clearing up doubt in your mind as well. Like it's 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 easy to just be able to get that that real time feedback. So rather than having to wait for a live mentoring session, you have a question, pop it onto a to a Slack channel conversation, um, and and there might not be one person sitting down there ready to respond to it, but out of a team of 11 or 12 of us, somebody's going to get back to me pretty quickly and, and be able to give me some direction and some clarity.
0: Yeah. And the second part of what you mentioned about your second job, which you're enjoying, is the pathways. So what have you been exposed to?
1: Um, I'm Just really um, open, open-minded and progressive, so um, open to input from everybody. So I guess those pathways are there, but I can also see that there'd be scope for me to, to develop and and contribute to my own pathways moving forwards. Is that
0: something that was kind of actively discussed or it's just been a feeling over time?
1: And you've been at this new place and you're like, they're actually listening to my feedback. Yeah, I'd say probably a little bit of both. So, so specifically it's probably not a conversation that's been had on purpose, Mm. but definitely, um, a feeling yeah yeah.
0: so it's I mean we could go into what we're doing this weekend right like we so for those of you listening we did the, the Profeet core values and what stood out to me is uh, everyone had input and everyone's input is exactly what shaped the core values that we came up with and I feel like some of the new grads that were here this weekend actually specifically came up to us and said I've never been Listen to in this way, and I feel like I've just
1: shaped the company's core values. I think mean, that's really special. Yeah, that was that was massive for me, um, because I feel like to be to be a part of contributing to it, it, it just makes you buy into it so much more. Um, so, and I was saying that if I walked in and I had to see the exact same core core values that we came up with as a team yesterday. I still would have looked at them and and bought into them, but it just it's so much more meaningful to be a part of the process, to have a seat at the table, and and mm. to and to get there together. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. I guess I guess new grads could ask about these type of things. So, are there pathways for me? Um, do you have you know larger culture days, retreats, core value sessions, um, or are they existing? I think. Those type of things might be little indicators to you as a new grad that this would be a great place to work. Could you think of any other questions that might trigger what you've experienced with this workplace?
1: Yeah, so I I feel like your gut feel is going to tell you a a lot and you're probably going to know a a lot about where you are and where you want to be um, just off feeling alone. But definitely, um, it'd be good to provoke that a little bit to clear up any doubt in, in your mind um, because you can't just sit around and and wait for things to happen or 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 see what things are going to look like so i think ask those hard questions that are going to make you nervous early ask think about where you want to be in a year two years three years and how you're going to going to get there because at the end of your employer is going to be should be just as interested in helping you get there as what you will be and if you can both help each other, then that's that's the ideal scenario.
0: I'll just wrap up on this with uh, the other thing we did this weekend was share our desire statements, which is quite simply, where do you imagine yourself in three years personally, professionally? Where do you live? What does your family look like? How many patients a week are you seeing? What's your income? And so you finish this exercise with a desire statement. And uh, I think if... Anyone listening this could run through those questions and write that down. That might be a great thing to go into an interview with and say, this is what I'm looking to achieve. And I think very quickly you would know by the answer of the employer or potential employer if they have pathways in place or if there's been someone before you that they can compare to. They can say, oh, yeah, um, Jacob, our podiatrist, has actually chosen to take this pathway and he is a high income earner. Or Jacob uh, wanted to travel a lot, so he had eight weeks off last year. Or he wanted a four-day work week. So having that desire statement prepared potentially could help you in an interview.
1: For those of you who aren't
0: interviewing, it might be something to go
1: to your current employer with now, see if you can start shaping pathways. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Um, I think those questions early is great. And going back to my expectations from earlier, when I sat down for my job interview, I um, I assume to be drilled with clinical questions, and and that's not what it was about at all. It was about me as a person and, and my lifestyle and and um, the the and coming away from that, the question that I asked to to my employers was, what like not how many people do you want me to see a week? Um, how much money are you going to give me to for my CPD allowance? Uh, I asked them what they were most proud of about about their job and where they work and what they told me was um, they were proud to be able to give opportunities to people, like to to, to us as podiatrists, to be able to do podiatry the way we want to do podiatry and, and that was a key indicator for me early. That's pre- Yeah,
0: that's pretty massive for that that to be the response from an employer. I think straight away you're thinking, wow, this this is a little bit different, that's awesome. We're going to change gears a bit and talk about um, orthotic prescription because other health professionals who aren't pods don't have a great view of it. Um, And I I don't mean a great view, I mean an informed view. Uh, It's probably a better word. So I know there's myos, osteos, physios in this group, um, and I thought it would actually be really educational for a podiatrist to explain uh, what are the two points of view in the podiatry field uh, at the moment, because we, we're, we're hearing that it's quite split. Could you go into that?
1: Yeah, so I'd say within podiatry and the general public, um, there's some very strong opinions on orthotics. There's a lot of people out there that think that everybody needs orthotics, and then there's a lot of people out there that think orthotics will not benefit anybody. So it's it's quite hard to deal with those um, to fight that battle initially with somebody who, who might be quite, quite turned off to orthotics, or they might um, think that they really need orthotics when it might not be something that might benefit them. Um, so, and 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 in reality, it lies somewhere in the middle, as it probably does with most things. In that, um, you know, it, it it can be part of the over. It's they're great tools in overall management. Um, what they do is going to be different for different people. As with most things, it probably lies somewhere in the middle. At one end of the spectrum, you've got the very research, evidence-based, experienced podiatrist that will dial right into um, prescribing things to certain degrees for certain conditions and certain mechanical factors. And then um, at the other end, you've got to think, we've got to get, get this into a person's shoe and make it comfortable um, and beneficial for them as well. And... So, so there's, there is more that, that comes into it than just thinking about the clinical prescription and the clinical justification for it. Um, you definitely got to think about the person and what it can do for them specifically. And um, it can 100% be combined with functional strength, mobility, exercise-based therapies as well to get the best outcomes at the end of the day.
0: So kinda, to me, it sounds like manual therapy in the physiotherapy world of like, you've got some people who say it's a waste of time. We don't need them. And then other people say like, yes, I'm definitely going to do it. And they're the two ends of the spectrum. So whereas my view is it's a tool that will get you to an outcome, an end goal, um, regardless of the evidence, it's still a tool that people feel good about. If it can alleviate, if it can reduce pain and get us to an end goal, why wouldn't we use it? Um. So my question to you would be, where do you sit on that spectrum of uh, most conditions require orthotics or we don't need orthotics at all, we can just do strengthening and mobility?
1: You can make such a massive and easy impact for somebody with an orthotic quite often. So I think you've you've got to definitely offer it where it's it's justified and where it will be beneficial. Um, Some people might only be able to get to a certain point without that device, some people might be, it might be a device that they have to rely on quite a lot. And for others, it might be something that they only need an orthotic in their shoe while they're, if they're running more than five or six Ks. Um, so it does come down to the individual circumstances. But definitely, um, if, if I think it's going to make a benefit, it's something that I'm going to be, be offering and bringing up pretty early to be able to best benefit the people I'm helping
0: tell me about um, I move you because again originally when we built it it was the very first course in Sydney a year ago now was just for young physios and uh, in the last few events we've had more and more myos osteos podiatrists come and they're getting great value out of it and that's really pleasing for us and then off that feedback we've changed the course to be more open to the other health professionals as well Uh, So can you tell me about your experience with iMoveU because I thought it was quite
1: a unique one. Yeah, so I went to the iMoveU course in Melbourne, Geelong. (laughs) Yeah, stitch (laughs) up. About two months ago. Um, And I'd only ever been to one course out of uni other than that. And it was very clinical based. And so that was what my expectation of of courses outside uni would be. And... um, What I found is that being so communication-based and being so focused in on specifically new practitioners that are out there, um, that it was a lot more beneficial for me than just improving my theoretical knowledge because it it gave me tools and tips that I could use that I hadn't considered before that point. Um, So what my my thinking and my, my logic was that when things weren't working that it was because I didn't know enough and I, or I wasn't doing things in the right way. And so it was good to, to just be around a bunch of, of new new grads and, and, and learn that they, they all had the same questions in their mind and that there's there's things around body language and communication and the way that we present ourselves that can make such a massive difference in the outcomes we get and it's not all, um, don't need to get dialed into what you thought you might have been doing wrong in diagnosis or management um, when you can work on on those other things so easily once you're aware of them. And your view that the
0: improvement that you can have in physiology versus the improvement in communication, could you explain
1: that? Yeah, so I I had that naive view as well that um, sometimes I could get people better after three, two or three visits um, just by getting the orthotic in the shoe and telling them the exercises to go home and do and it would happen. Um, and and what, what I was learning is that um, yeah, those exercises and, and that orthotic might really help for that specific condition um, but if I'm not communicating myself well and I'm not getting, getting that person back in front of me and checking on how things are going. Um, and leaving doubt in their minds once they once they do leave the room and and no, can no longer ask me those questions, And I'm doing them a pretty big disservice. Um, and and really, I've got i I've shifted the uh, the goalposts a little bit for myself. And and I wouldn't see that just giving them that device and giving them that plan is enough. Now now I'd want to be able to make sure that I'm getting them back and make sure that they're not just out of pain, but that they're strong and back into doing what they want to be able to do again.
0: I think the thing that stood out for me and something I've seen with new grads was uh, that you blamed yourself when things were going wrong and you thought, oh, I mustn't have the skill set." And that's that's a real common trait we see is new grads are really hard on themselves, which is a good thing because that means they care. Uh, but you're you're blaming yourself for for maybe a patient cancelling or not having other answers, and can you tell me your thoughts around that and how it's changed?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it, it used to be that if if somebody cancelled, and you and you will always get two or three percent of people that will not be able to make a scheduled appointment. Um, but I was probably leaning too much on those excuses of, oh well, they must have had something really important on, when really. Um, I wasn't communicating myself in a way that that made them feel that my appointment was important, maybe, and more, and and that they, um, you know, they need to get there.
0: Yeah, and that's that's a lot about what we practice in our review, isn't it? It's like how we come across more confident, the words we use, the phrases we use, but also the body language and the tonality around
1: what and how we say. Definitely. It's massive. Um, and, and there are so many things that you can address and that you can work on. And it's just, um, being aware of those things and coming up with strategies and getting more comfortable and delivering things with more confidence. And then you find that those, you start to get less cancellations, the, the, the ones you start to feel, um, less 50, 50 on whether or not somebody's come back, coming back in. When you rebook somebody, um, you, you feel very more comfortable and more confident doing it.
0: Yeah, I was, you know, we'll wrap up here because we're about to dock. But I think the thing that really stood out to me in our conversation last night was, you know, you might be able to get a 10 or 20% improvement in, you know, three to six months to 12 months in your clinical knowledge and your physiology knowledge, but you can get a three, 400, 500% improvement in your communication skills really quickly. And I know which one I would be
1: choosing. Yeah, Definitely. And I I think it's I think university doesn't prepare us for that very well. And so it's almost like you've you've got to unless you just wait to make the mistakes to learn from them, it's something that you've got to identify and, and purposefully address. Yeah,
0: that's right. It's awesome. And that's you know, we I do love going into clinical skills and I love teaching physiology and we still have
1: that section at the end of our review, but I think the biggest thing we take away is those communication pearls.